have, um, we are in a series, three weeks, uh, that we are talking about this box. And we have a little sign here. This box says, what does that say? Self-deception. Self-deception box uh, is what we've been, uh, we've been focusing on. We're doing these three weeks together. Uh, and so we are uh, in week two. Uh, honestly, if you missed last week, you got to go back and watch it. It was just so fun. Uh, the Lord was in, was in here. And uh, uh, I just wanted to ask you, um, how you doing after that week? Uh, I know you've been talking. I've been hearing it all over the place. Um, how, did, how, did, how did your week go? How did, uh, did you decide whether you were in the box most of the time or out of the box most of the time? Uh, I had several people say, I didn't even know I had a box. But I'm in it all the time. I thought that was a, uh, so. We had lots and lots of uh, stories and comments about that. Well, we ask you uh, to allow God to search your heart. Uh, so, did you, did you take some time and think about uh, what God is saying to you uh, about yourself and searching your heart about these about these issues of self-deception? Um, even even how did your week go? As far we ask you to think about seeing people uh, as people. Uh, so seeing people as people, uh, you know, the, uh, the encouragement of the scripture, the Bible says that we are commanded to love everybody, to love everybody. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. There's, these, there's several commercials right now that the beginning part of the commercials say, uh, see me. You've seen those commercials? See me. Uh, you know, it's an encouragement because it, it, they're trying to get you to get some kind of medication or something, which is all fine. I'm sure it works great. Uh, but the see me kind of <laughs> got my attention uh, because, you know, there's a lot of times that people feel like, I know you have probably felt at times that you were invisible, that somebody didn't see you, uh, they didn't really look at you, they didn't hear you. Even that person sitting next to you, the person you live with at home, uh, sometimes that happens, doesn't it, mm -hmm. where we just feel like we're invisible. And so we're thinking about that and how uh, today we're talking about uh, see me uh, because you desperately have people in your life that need love that need the supernatural work that's happening in you there's a lot of people you're going to run into this week that wouldn't be in a service like this that wouldn't be in a place where God could touch their heart so you are equipped after this service to go out there and to make a difference in somebody's life and you don't, hey, you don't have to have a license. You, you don't have to have, uh, you don't have to, to get anything. You don't have to go to a class. Just, just go and be what God wants you to be. Love the people. See people uh, around you. Uh, so we are talking today uh, uh, about that, you know, what this idea is of self-deception. I heard this little story. There was this uh, little kid. He's in his backyard. And I thought it perfectly described uh, what self-deception is. He has a baseball and he has a bat. And he's standing there by himself and he proclaims, I am the greatest hitter in the world. Tosses the ball up in the air, swings as hard as he can, misses the ball on the ground. Strike one. He picks it up, takes a breath, says, I am the greatest hitter in the world. And he threw the ball up and he swung as hard as he can and he missed it again. Strike two. It's on the ground. This time he said, well, I need a little help. And so he got some dirt and rubbed his hands and got it on the bat and got himself all worked up. And he, he said, I, loudly, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. Threw the ball up, swung as hard as he could, missed it, strike three on the ground. He looked discouraged for just a minute. And then he thought, I 
am the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> we can tell ourselves anything, right? Yeah. yeah. We can tell ourselves, we, try to, we can believe anything about ourselves. Uh, that's that uh, sense of self-deception. So we want to think about the box. Uh, Cheryl's going to help us think about what we did last week. So we're going to review a little bit uh, how we get in the box, what the box situation is, because we have heard this through the grapevine over and over again. You two have created a monster <laughs> because we have families where somebody's going, you're in the box, you're not listening to me, you need to get out of the box, we can have a conversation. And so we've heard that over and over and over again this week. Now, what were the directions last week? Remember, put your blinders back on. This is about you. This is not about somebody else. Okay, so we got to review what being in the box is about. So you have a choice. First thought, okay, do I do, last week we talked about uh, middle of the night, couple laying in bed, baby starts crying, and the dad wakes up and thinks, I should go take care of the baby so my wife can sleep. Then you get to choose if you're going to honor that choice or if you're going to betray yourself and not honor that choice. Remember, he ended up in a hot mess because he started thinking all these crazy things about his wife, and he started... Uh, raising up her faults and raising up his virtue so that he was justified in his self-betrayal. So when self-betrayal happens, that leads to self-deception, and now all of a sudden, I'm in the box. Okay, that's the steps kind of to get there. Uh, this is in your sermon notes. I don't know if you've grabbed those yet, but in the sermon notes, there's these four steps, and I'm in the box. And when you're in the box, I just can't focus on people as people. When I'm in the box, I'm seeing you as objects. I'm seeing you as threats. I'm seeing you as some sort of obstacle to somewhere I want to get. So you're not a person to me. You're all those other things to me. All right? So number three says, my influence and my relationship success depends on me stepping out of that box. If all I'm going to do, and last week I talked about John. John's over there in the front row. John's my husband, for any of you who haven't met him. He's a very nice man, very nice man. Okay, and if I... In order for our relationship to be healthy, if I spend all my time in here, it's not going to go well because I can't even see him. Where he's sitting, he's way over there. I'm definitely not seeing him as a person. I'm seeing him as my honey-do list. Ouch, right? I'm seeing him as, um, you know, I, can you bring home the bacon because I got some stuff I got to fry. Okay, so, but I'm not seeing him as a person. So my relationship success is going to suffer. My influence with him, with our family is going to suffer because I'm not seeing them as people. I'm seeing them as objects, whatever I can move around or manipulate to get myself further where I want to be. All right. And number four says you get out of the box as you cease resisting the humanity of other people. That's when I treat somebody like an object. When I don't recognize at all that you're a human being, that you might have some of the same hopes and dreams and challenges that I have, then I continue to treat you as an object. And all of a sudden, I've ceased recognizing your humanity. So then I slip right back into the box. Not good. I want to share uh, a story with you. We went to Exponential, which was a conference, um, you want that, uh, which was a conference uh, about church multiplying. It was really, really good. But we rode on a plane together. It was in Orlando. And so the district office made our plane arrangements. And so when we got on the plane, Irene and I were sitting together, and then Pastor was a little bit farther, and then there was other people from our district kind of all spread out. So I was thinking about the airplane story last week. When you, uh, 
when you, she's like, don't you talk about it. I'm going to talk about it, Irene. <laughs> Remember when I was saying you want the extra seat and you're watching who's coming down the row? Can you just imagine? We're in a seat of three and it's me and Irene. Whoever was looking at that extra seat was thinking, that's a lot of woman right there. <laughs> So somebody comes and sits next to us. We're fine. We're visiting. It's all good. And then I notice, we notice this mom who's kind of pacing up and down the aisle. Now, pastor's way on the other side of the plane. He doesn't know what, he's already, you know, got his backpack out and he's studying. He's got his whole thing going. And this mom keeps looking up at these two girls, keeps looking up at these two girls. And so the stewardess finally says, ma'am, you need to find your seat. And she said, okay, can you just go to my two girls? My youngest is sick. And we didn't get seats together. I'm just feeling very nervous that she needs to know where I'm at. So in case she's not feeling well, she can find me. And the, so the stewardess went up to go find her. And so, of course, Irene and I are like, oh. <laughs> I said, where are there three seats together? How can we help? Can they just move seats? So there was a, a young man sitting by pastor, an empty seat, and then pastor. And so the mom, we said to him, because her seat was right across the thing, could you, would you be willing to move? And then the girls could sit back here. And he was like, oh, sure, yeah, that's fine. So he gets up. So then we're like, that's not even good enough. So we holler over, hey, pastor, come over here and sit somewhere else. He, he didn't even know what's going on, and we're moving him around, you know. <laughs> Poor guy. And so he's like, okay. So he loads up all of his stuff. So they end up, the mom and the two girls get to sit in the three seat, because we're both thinking like mamas, like, you got to be right next to that girl. If she's sick, it's not going to go well. So we've moved him. All of a sudden, he's out of the box towards everybody. He has no idea why. He just got moved. <laughs> so we're looking at each other like high-fiving. We are so out of the box. Now, did either one of us move? No. We just moved everybody else. <laughs> we were perfectly fine where we were. <laughs> So, you can help other people be out of the box, and they don't even know it, okay? <laughs> but never once did we say to Pastor Brock, you're in the box, you need to move. We never use that language, okay, because we have to just recognize that in ourselves. So, that's really important. So, today, uh, one of the things we need to look at is this idea of my behavior and my mindset, okay? So, if I, sorry, hello, people over here, if I have an inward mindset that all my behaviors are, are benefiting me, are pointing towards me, are focused on me. So I protect and I advance myself because I am in the box, I'm just focused on me, all right? If I have an outward mindset, then my behaviors protect and advance the collective result. So I'm facing outward and all of a sudden, here's all these results that can happen. On the airplane, we felt like that mom needed to be able to sit with her girls, especially since her little girl was sick. And so we saw this idea of this collective result. So our mindset shifted from, boy, we're comfortable and, and in our seats and, and we don't need to move and, and we're all good and pastor's all good and everybody's settled and that's too bad that girl's sick. I hope the mom can see her okay. To an outward mindset where there was a collective result. There was something we could do about the situation. And so because we were trying to think outwardly, and we forced pastor to think outwardly, uh, we ended up with this behavior that caused this collective result to come true. All right? So some of this really, when you think about it, it's pretty logical, right? But when you start seeing all these kinds of things, how often 
am I just experiencing an inward mindset? Because I just want to protect myself. I just want to advance myself. Can I flip this? Can I start paying attention to other people as people kind of get out of the box towards them and pay attention to other people so that these results can begin happening? We're looking at scripture. It's on your outline there. We, how does, what does the Bible have to say about this uh, so that we can understand uh, what, it, what the Bible is teaching us? So the, the James verse uh, that I wanted you to see there is uh, James chapter 2, uh, verse 12 and 13. Um, this is an incredible verse. Uh, that encourages us about our love for others. Notice it says, Whenever you speak or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law of love, the law that set you free. Uh, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, the Bible says he's going to judge you by the law of love one day. Now, what would the law of love be? Um, well, in the Bible, it would be love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So how do you do that? How do you accomplish that? Well, verse 13, uh, James says, so, you want to read that underlined part right there? You, you must, must show, show mercy, mercy to, to others. others. You must show mercy to others. Or God will not show mercy to you when he judges you. But the person who shows mercy will stand without fear at the judgment because mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, that's a powerful verse for us. Um, it gives us a lot of perspective about God's mercy. You know, God's mercy is powerful. You know, it wipes out, you know, this verse gives you some ideas that it wipes out God's judgment. You don't have to stand in fear before God because of the mercy that not only he's shown to you, but that you've shown to others. It wipes out Satan's accusations uh, against us where he wants to bring shame against us. It even breaks down our own self-condemnation. Uh, where the, the way that our, our, we judge ourselves. So you're really way harder on yourself than you are on anybody else. But mercy triumphs over judgment. So mercy is really a theme that we can find in the life of Jesus. You know, many different times people come along and say, uh, Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me. Uh, have mercy on me. It was one of the key perspectives about his ministry. Uh, so we have this story in Matthew chapter 20 where Jesus has this encounter with two blind men, and Jesus heals them. But we see some principles here that I think reflect what we've been trying to teach last week, this week, and even next week. Uh, so what I want you to do, Cheryl's going to read this for us, but I want you to listen for the verbs. Like, what did Jesus do? How, how did Jesus respond? Notice all the ways that he reached out to, to these blind men. Matthew 20, 30 34 Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd scolded them and tried to get them to be quiet, but they just shouted louder, Lord, have mercy on us. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and looked their way. Then he asked, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, we want to see, they said. Jesus had compassion on them, so he touched their eyes, and instantly they could see. Then they all started following Jesus. Man, that's awesome, Mindy. You notice that Jesus heard them. Do you see that? Jesus heard them. Um, you know, he's not just talking about noise. Uh, everybody heard them, but, uh, but Jesus heard them. 
heard what, was, what they were saying and what they were. You know, love, expressing love, being out of the box, it starts with listening, right? Listening to clues to see people as people. Um, you know, people are everywhere that need us, that need our attention. Now, Cheryl is going around, and we're going to illustrate this, and she's picking you out. So uh, if she picks you out, then just do what she says, all right? Um, uh, and we're going to do a little illustration in just a moment. Um, you know, what's happened is, you notice where these guys were sitting. They're sitting on the side of the road. Uh, they're sitting kind of out of the way. And what happened is, these, uh, these people around them scolded them, even kind of bringing a little shame to them because they're yelling out. They're yelling for God, uh, for Christ to do something for them. Uh, it says these two guys shouted even more when they tried to get them quiet. Um, recognizing that these guys are sitting there and nobody's listening to them. You know, a lot of people in our society feel like they're on the sidelines and nobody hears them. Some of you feel like that, don't you? You feel that occasionally where you wonder if anybody's even really listening to you, anybody's paying attention to what you're saying. You know, it takes effort to look at somebody and to see them and to hear them. See me, they're crying out, listening to uh, what, what is actually coming out of their heart. People today do exactly what these two guys are doing. They're shouting, they're yelling, they're calling out. Uh, they want to be heard. Uh, they don't want to be left on the sidelines. It says in verse 32, uh, Jesus heard them. Uh, Proverbs 21, 13 says, Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Like, ouch! If I don't listen and pay attention and I don't hear the cries of others, then it says that I'm gonna, my cries are going to be ignored in my own time of need. One other verse, uh, Psalm 18.6 says, In my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to God for help. He heard me. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Praise the Lord. That God hears us. He's not just pushing us off to the side, leaving us on the sideline. He said, he heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. So um, let's think about whether we're in the box or out of the box, this illustration. Uh, rule number one, uh, don't sit on the aisle. <laughs> All these people are like, I hate Cheryl Sherwood. <laughs> okay, what I need for you guys to do is hold hands and make a circle, please. If you can come like this way so you don't hit the keyboard. Okay. Perfect. Why is it that we do this? Isn't this the normal reaction? Isn't this exactly what you would have done? Can everybody please turn around and hold hands? Isn't this the exact same direction? Can you please get in a circle and hold hands? That's what I said, right? When do we ever do this? When is this ever our first reaction? But isn't this this? Where we say, because before when you guys were holding hands, you could see each other, right? There's eight or nine of you up here. So Jessica, you could see Vicki, Crystal, you could see Chad. So you guys were seeing each other. But now when you're faced out, look at all these other people. Now you guys see the drum set. Sorry about that. But... <laughs> But isn't it a remarkable thing just to turn outward? Because now my whole mindset changes because look at all these other people that I could be caring for. Look at all these other people that I could treat as people. 
It's different, isn't it? I have a lot better chance of listening to somebody else in this posture, in this position, than I do if I'm faced inward. As a church, my church PFN family, we must do this. We will die if we do it the other way. We are strong. We are uh, proactive. We are moving forward. We are 850 strong right now. Is anybody in this room satisfied with that? I'm not. And I know for certain the Holy Spirit's not. This is how we must position ourselves. So that all the time we're seeing our neighbors and our coworkers and the rest of our family. We're seeing people we've never even known before at different events throughout our community. Because we're facing outward, we get to meet those folks and maybe get a chance to speak hope and truth into their life. Right. Great job, you guys. Thank Good you. Job. You can Thank be seated. You. Appreciate it very much. So number two is stop and see the person. Stop and see the person. What do you do if there's a fire? No, get out of the building, <laughs> right? That's ridiculous. You're rolling around in the fire, get out of there. I will tell you, I've read several articles this week studying for everything, and they have stopped teaching preschool children to stop, drop, and roll. Because when they said, when your house is on fire, what do you do? And the four-year-old says, I stop, drop, and roll. No, get out of the house, kid. Right? Okay, so make sure that we stop and see the person, but you pay attention to how to do that, okay? Uh, the verse is here, Matthew 20, 32a. When Jesus heard their cries, he stopped. Okay, God incarnate stopped because the weakest, lowest uh, people in the community said, will you please help us? The person who was 100% God and 100% man, the only one in history, stopped walking. All the other people, shh, quit bothering him. He's a busy man. He's very important. Nope, Jesus stopped. That's remarkable. The next verse says, don't be so obsessed with always getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Boy, that's the shift from the inward mindset to the outward mindset. Where I say to myself, I know I have all these responsibilities, all these different things going on but I'm going to completely miss people as people if all I do is continue to move forward in my own agenda. That is a great verse. That is a, that is a, a verse that hurts me. <laughs> when I read it, sometimes those verses where you're like, oh, that's talking to me. That one's talking to me. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. The third one in 1 Corinthians, none of you should be looking out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. It's very important for us to make sure that we're focusing correctly, because boy, Jesus sure was good at that, wasn't he? Number three, look past people's behavior to see their value. See their value. Look past people's behavior to see their value. Uh, if you are a parent, this is where you live. Because lots of times, a parent's focus is 
basically behavior modification, behavior management, right? We're going to go to this event. I need for you to behave properly. I want you to make sure that you're acting right. It's an important part of parenting, isn't it? We're going to behave this way at a ball game, but we're not going to act like that at the funeral, right? And we have to help people. We have to help them understand that. So looking past people's behavior to see their value. Don't we do that all the time, or we should as parents? Because if all we're focused on is the, be the current behavior, whew, peace out, right? This is not a good situation. But if we're focused on this little person someday is going to become an adult, and I would love for them to have a handle on these certain characteristics. I'd love for them to understand what grace looks like. I'd love for them to be a person of forgiveness and compassion. So I'm going to see their value and keep investing in them, even though they're little and dirty and rotten sometimes, right? Okay? So, or if they're tall and dirty and rotten sometimes, all right? So <laughs> it's really important for us to recognize, look past people's behavior to see their value. Now that's to parents. Let me just say a minute to kids. These are some of my favorite people in the world, these refuge people. I've literally grown up with you. <laughs> And look past your parents' behavior and see their value. Yep. Because many, many times, I will just speak for myself, I have messed it up bad. I have not handled myself correctly. I've put myself in time out. <laughs> All those wonderful things. So could you look past my behavior and see my value? Isn't that true for every certain age group, every different age group? We have grandmas and grandpas who are very good at looking past their grandkids' behavior and seeing their value, right? John often says, who are you and what did you do with my parents to mom and dad? Because they're so kind to the grandkids. I mean, they were very kind to him too. Wow, I need to just be quiet. Okay, so. <laughs> I didn't mean it. Okay. <laughs> Mark chapter 10 says, Jesus looked steadily at the man and was filled with love for him. So he could see beyond anything that was happening right in front of him. He looked at him steadily. Do you see that? He looked steadily at the man. That takes a little bit of time, doesn't it? He didn't glance at the man and see his worth. He looked steadily at him. That's important. When Jesus looked out over the crowds, his heart broke because they were confused and aimless, wandering like sheep with no shepherd. How often do I look out my front door and see my neighborhood with God's eyes? Not just see the neighbor who loans us stuff or the guy who sometimes scoops our snow. Am I seeing them how God sees them? And it is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. It's a pretty strong verse to, for us to make sure we have an awareness of. One of the things I love about this section is that Jesus takes time to ask them what they need. Uh, number four is ask them what they need. Don't assume you already know. Don't assume that you know uh, what they need. Um, he's, letting, he's letting them express. You know, one of the easiest ways to be in the box is decide that you know what everybody ought to be doing. Right? See, I can't I have trouble seeing some of y'all over there. But just, just do what I tell you. You know, just, just get yourself straightened out. You know, uh, instead of out of the box, you have a chance to say, um, how can I help? Uh, what, can I, what can I do? How can I be? So I'm not making this assumption 
that already know. So you look like you don't know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, uh, you have it all figured out sometimes that you want to help them, you know, do the right thing, and we got to move them along there. Um, you know, there's such respect, isn't there, when somebody respects what you're feeling, what's happening uh, for you. So being in the box is making assumptions about people, and uh, we love to do that, don't we? Well, I, I know what they're thinking, I know what they're doing, I know what's wrong with them. Uh, when you probably have no idea, you don't even know what's wrong with you, much less what's wrong with them. Um, you know, I can barely uh, figure that out most of the time. So we, uh, Jesus asked them a question. You know, asking questions is a great way to discern that, to make sure that you're not making an assumption, but that you're responding to what Jesus stopped, spoke to them, said, what do you need me to do for you? He asked them. This verse from Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So we're out of the box when we are wanting to understand. How can we help? How can we be supportive? How can we love them without making uh, assumptions uh, about them, to love them and to care for them? Uh, you know, part of it is like um, just looking people in the eye. Just, just look at people. You know, don't you do that all the time? I'm fine. I'm going on. You know, even this morning, I made an extra effort this morning. I looked all of you right in the face. Uh, and some of you are like, you know, kind of <laughs> moving on. Uh, but being out of the box is an expression of respect to other people, right? that we're respecting that person that we live with, that person that we're uh, involved with. How do we, We're taking this work that Christ has done in our heart and we're expressing that I'm not living in the box for my own self. I'm opening my eyes. I'm opening my heart. I'm looking at you and I'm seeing you. I'm hearing you. I'm listening to what you say and I'm not making assumptions about what you're doing. This is really hard, isn't it? You know, it's so easy just to be caught up in our own in our own stuff. And so the last thing there, number five, is, uh, is to do whatever you can to help. So we've seen what Jesus has done. We've seen Jesus listening. He heard them. He saw them. He saw their value. He asked them what they needed. And then Jesus did what he could do for them. I think that's awesome. Now, what, what I take that to mean is, I mean, notice, he used all of his resources he used his ears, he used his eyes, he used his hands, he used his voice. Uh, he used all the different, re you know, notice he didn't, you know, he didn't write him a check. He didn't do it, no. no, he used all that he had to do what he could to help them. What if we did that? What if we just did what we could do? Make a difference in their life. Uh, we, get, we got some ideas here, some uh, ideas about ways that you can do that. So how can I begin seeing needs? You know, how can, how can I help? You know, what can I do? We're going to talk in just a second about, you know, you can't do everything for everybody. But what does God want you to do? How does God want you to be in a situation? How can you, how can you help? How can I be a friend? How can I even be a better friend? Mm -hmm. you know, a better friend than I've, than I've been. How, I'm going to change my ways so I can be a better friend. How can I meet their need, which means I have to have an awareness of what their need is. i got to listen. How can I be kind rather than you fill in the blank? How can I be kind rather than frustrated? How can I be kind rather than being apathetic? 
How can I be kind rather than being angry and frustrated? Uh, how can I be supernaturally connected to the people that are around me? Because that's what we're talking about, right? right? We're talking about, you know, this is not self-help week <laughs> at the Church of the Nazarene. We're not asking you to go out and do this on your own. We're asking you to be so connected to Christ that you've gotten yourself out of the box, thinking about him, recognizing who you are, so that it transforms how you deal with other people so that you can even be the catalyst. How can I be a catalyst for healing? So we have this outward mindset, the uh, initials there, Sam. Number one, see the needs, objectives, and challenges of other people. So if I'm going to see it, i got to stop, i got to pay attention, just like Jesus did. Number two, adjust my efforts to be more helpful to others. So here's that assuming portion. I'm already being helpful. I'm already doing what they need. Mm, if it doesn't seem helpful to them, it's not helpful. So you have to adjust your efforts to make sure that you're being helpful to other people. And the M is measure and hold myself accountable for my impact on other people. Now, how do I measure that? How do I pay attention? Well, their reaction would be a great place to start. It's trying to see if you are accomplishing that collective result that we were talking about earlier. Now, you say to yourself, well, I can't do everything. Uh, we go back to what's my first thought, and am I going to honor it, or am I going to betray myself about it? So I have these first thoughts all the time. How in the world am I going to pull all that off? How am I going to help all those people? How am I going to solve world hunger when I'm watching TV and the little starving kid comes on? I want to help all those kids. How am I going to do that? Then the next commercial is this little puppy out in the cold. How am I going to help all those, all those dogs? You start, and that's just, that's like lumped great things that are happening, not even what's happening in your own family or your own neighborhood, your own workplace. So you can become overwhelmed with how am I supposed to do all this stuff? So our own responsibilities and needs have to be cared for, right? If I'm out of the box towards all those other things, the important thing is I get to the point, one of the important things, I get to the point where there's no need for me to blame anybody else or justify my own behaviors because I'm seeing them as people. I'm out of the box towards them. As soon as I have the want to to help them, that means I'm out of the box. If it's not ideal and I can't do it every single time, then I need to do what I can do. It's interesting because that seems like a cop-out, kind of, doesn't it? Well, I'm just going to do what I can do. That's all I can do. I can't do anymore. It's interesting that Jesus would include a story about a lady in Mark chapter 14. She came. There's a big dinner at uh, Simon's house. The church leaders were all ticked at, at Jesus, wanted to take him out, decided not to do it that week because it was Passover week and they didn't want to incite a riot. So they know he's over there at Simon's house. So he, they, they find that out, plus all the disciples are there. A woman comes in and has this jar, they call it nard, a really expensive kind of a perfume kind of stuff. And it's the one bottle is worth about one year of wages. So it's really expensive, really nice stuff. And she busts it open and pours it on Jesus. Jesus recognizes that she is preparing him for everything that's going to happen that next week of his life, for the crucifixion. She's helping to prepare his body for that. Some historians say that when he's on the cross, because that was such rich perfume, when he was on the cross suffering, he probably could still smell a scent of that. And that brought him peace. And that brought him um, 
the feeling, knowing that, that she was kind of still with him, that beautiful act of love that she did for him. But the disciples said, what are you doing? That is a year's worth of money right there. We could have given so many things to the poor. Why would you do that? And Jesus said, you know, forever you'll have the poor with you. They'll always be around, but I won't always be around. And what she did for me, such a gift. And forever, as often as you talk about me, you'll talk about her because, and this is what scripture says, she did what she could. She took advantage of the time and she did what she could do at this moment. And forever, 2,018 years later, somebody's going to be talking about her at church saying she did what she could at the time. One thing, it's the only, only thing that they talk about her in scripture. She did what she could. Now, I would love for lots of things to be on my headstone. <laughs> like, she's an awesome mom, she's a great wife, whatever, that kind of thing. But how cool would it be if it said, uh, she loved God and she did what she could. So the times that arise for you to do what you can, don't be overwhelmed with this thing. And think, in order for me to be out of the box, i got to do everything for everybody. Can you imagine how crushing that weight would be? But because I want to help you, that means I'm out of the box towards you. And as I have a chance to do something, and it not just fits in my schedule, sometimes i got to stop and listen and take more time than what I think I have, but I need to do what I can do as the opportunity arises. All right, doesn't that take a little bit of pressure off, a little bit of freedom off? So if God directs you to do it, he's also going to rearrange your schedule to where you're going to have time and opportunity to do it. All right, so do what you can do. I, we're not rewriting the Bible, but it would be very cool someday if somebody said about you, boy, she did what she could, he did what he could. So we're uh, kind of at the end here. We, we want you to walk away uh, making some decisions about yourself and about what you're going to do. We actually have some uh, don'ts and do's here. And uh, so what we wanted you to do is um, maybe initial these as we go along here. Use this as like a personal uh, checklist. Now, the whole point here was uh, the name of this series was getting out of the box. So how do we do that? Some do's and don'ts. Um, number one, uh, don't try to be perfect, but do try to be better. Don't try to be perfect, but try to be better. Um, you, we're, we're working on this together, right? We're working on allowing the Spirit to change us. Number two, don't use the vocabulary, the box, and so on with people who don't already know it. See, all you're doing is actually being in the box toward them. Uh, when you're, uh, But do use these principles in your life. You know, we weren't trying to create an opportunity to you to have mockery of the people that you live with or want to run around with. Um, we wanted you to bring about change in your life. Not just folks, because uh, it is, it's been funny, but at this point, we want you to make some serious decisions about how you're living with other people, how you're treating other people. Number three, uh, don't look for other people's boxes, but do look for your own. You have one. Uh, look for your own. Number four, don't accuse others of being in the box, but do try to stay out of your box. Number five says, don't give up on yourself when you discover you're in the box. Do keep trying. It's frustrating, isn't it? Uh, last week, we talked about human default. Our human default is to walk right back into our box and kind of cower in the corner. Uh, so when you recognize, oh man, I'm back in the box again towards this person, 
Uh, do keep trying. Do step out. Number six, don't deny that you've been in the box when you have been. Do apologize, then keep moving forward, trying to be more helpful to others. Uh, especially if the person you're in the box towards is sitting in this room, don't fake it. Just say, I have been. I'm so sorry. I'm going to try better. I'm going to try harder to not be in this towards you. Number seven, don't focus on what others are doing wrong. Do focus uh, on what you can do right to help in the situation. And number eight, don't worry whether others are helping you. Do concentrate on whether you are helping others. Number eight especially, if my only focus is nobody's helping me get out of the box, then I'm in the box, right? Because it's all about me. It's all focused on me. As soon as I concentrate on helping somebody else get out of the box or helping somebody else with any kind of situation they're in, then I just stepped out of the box towards them because I'm seeing them as a person that has needs and challenges and hopes and dreams just like I do. I don't know how you feel about this whole conversation that we've had these two weeks, but um, I think this is a very serious issue because I believe, and Cheryl and I believe together, that how you treat other people, how you deal with other people in your life is an eternal issue. Jesus talks about it all the time. Uh, we saw early that if you don't show mercy toward other people, God is not going to show mercy toward you. I mean, what else could that mean? That's a serious statement. And it's all over the scripture reminding us of how we treat other people because God created them all. You know, every person is not uh, a child of God yet, but every person is created by God. And we have a responsibility to help them. So we, take, we took this very seriously. Uh, we have a um, bookmark here that we wanted you to have. Uh, on one end of it, it says, I'm out of the box. <laughs> a little speech line up the little bubble right there. Uh, so we hope that's where you are. But this verse says, God will not forget the work I've done and the love I've shown him as I helped his people and continue to help them. Uh, God cares about your relationship, your care for other people. You have such an advantage that you have the Spirit of God. You have the opportunity for the Spirit of God to live in you so you don't have to be that same person that you used to be. You don't have to treat people the same way that you see other people treat other people. You can respond to them. God says he will not forget the work that you do. This is intentional, isn't it? takes a lot of intentionality. So we want to we pray. Um, here's how we're going to do this. Um, I'd like you to decide for yourself uh, what you're going to do about this. How you're going to think about this. How you're going to uh, put into practice some of these things that we've been talking about. Uh, making a difference in the relationships that you have. Uh, so if you, we're going to pray together, but instead of me having all of you stand at one time, I want you, when I say so, that if you decided to intentionally think about who's putting me in the box. Who are you? I had somebody this week say, I do pretty good with that pastor, but I got this one person. Well, that, that's something we need to deal with, right? That one person, because, you know, it won't, it'll, you take care of that one, there'll be somebody else. Mm -hmm. There'll be somebody else. It'll be, so you've got to work at it. You've got to be very intentional about it. You've got to make a decision about who am I? Who am I in Christ? 
You know, wouldn't it be amazing if all of us, just the people in this room, decided that we weren't going to treat anybody badly again? No waitress, no person that does wrong, no person that's a different color or somebody that's a different situation in their life or has a different belief system. That we're, we're going to decide that we're not going to treat anybody without that spirit of Christ in us again. Now, you say, well, that's not possible. Well, probably not, but it is possible by God's spirit in us. Right. You know, we don't have, I, I noticed that even this week, sometimes we don't even have the awareness that I'm doing it. You know, you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't know who he's talking to. I'm doing fine. You're probably not. You just don't have an awareness that you're doing that because you've done it so long and said it so many times over and over that you got that same little attitude and spirit. Well, it's time to change. It's time to decide that you have enough self-awareness to let the Spirit of God show you where you're wrong, where there needs to be change, where your tone of voice where your attitude toward these people in your life. I know there's some people, you love them. I mean, you just want to treat them so good. That's not the ones we're talking about, right? So you're saying today, I'm willing to intentionally ask God to help me with this whole concept of staying out of the box and how I treat other people. So we're going to say a prayer. Uh, if you've made that decision, whenever you're ready to do that, stand up. Thank you. Jesus, um, we just want to tell you we need help with this. <laughs> we don't have this one all figured out. In a lot of ways, we, we feel like we feel a lot of conviction. <laughs> I do. Lord, we, we feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit that is wanting to shape us, wanting to show us so we pray today, Lord, with great intentionality, we stand and tell you that we, we want to work at this. We want to work at deepening our love for you by how we help others, how we treat others, how we talk about others, how we talk to others, how we listen, how we see others' value. Lord, help us to take these things from last week and this week together. Lord, I pray that our church wouldn't just be a, a group of people that show up on a Sunday and then kind of go our way and live our lives. Help us as a group of people that are peaking first Nazarene people. That when we go out into the world, it's noticeable how we treat people. It affects how we treat our children, our spouses, the people that we have contact with. Uh, Lord, may you help us realize the things that we can do. Help us use, use our ears, our eyes, our mouths, our hands, every part of who we are. And when you want us to help, help us to see it. Help us to see them. Help us to hear them. Help us to ask questions and help us to do what only God could help us to do. Lord, we commit that to you today. And we do that with our amen. In Jesus' name, everybody said together. Amen. amen.